Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. As you rev up your engines with the start of NASCAR racing season, Podcast One is your pit stop for the best car podcasting around. Team up with Adam Carolla and friends on CarCast as they explore all aspects of the automotive space from car buying to news about the industry. Then drive into Motorsport Talk with Shift and Steer and stop by Spike's Car Radio as comedy writer Spike Firestein hosts a roundtable with his celebrity friends about all things cars. Download CarCast and Spike's Car Radio every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. It is still, as of this moment, trade deadline day, and it was a wild one, and I expanded to a deadline week because there was a big trade almost exactly a week ago. And what I decided to do with Real Jam Radio this week, something I've dabbled in this a few times and do really enjoy it, which is a series of separate conversations. And so this episode is a one-on-one with Derek Bodner of The Athletic, focusing on the Philly moves, Tobias Harris, Markel Fultz, and then a little bit on their other ancillary moves, Tim Cato of The Athletic, Dallas for the gigantic week that the Dallas Mavericks had, starting with trading for Kristaps Porzingis, and then eventually moving Harrison Barnes largely for cap space, and then a conversation with Fred Katz. The Washington Wizards became a surprisingly active team, moving Otto Porter and getting all the way underneath the luxury tax for this year and likely moving forward. So we have those three separate conversations that comprise this episode. Each one is between 20 minutes and 30, about about in that range. And this episode is brought to you by Peter Millar. Awesome quality products. I'm really a big fan of their of their clothing and the the quality and the comfort. And you can go to petermillar.com slash realgm for complimentary shipping and a free hat. Art of Sport, again, really high quality materials, innovation and science for skincare. And you can go to artofsport.com, use the promo code REALGM, you get 50% off a trial kit and free shipping. BetOnline.ag, use that podcast one promo code for a 50% sign up bonus. And TrueCar, great place to buy a new and used car and sell or trade in your car as well. So, as I said, these are separate conversations. They end up touching on some similar subjects, but really, I mean, these three teams were independent of each other. That was partially by design. So, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for taking the time. My pleasure. You and I 
along with many others, expected this to be a very eventful deadline for the Philadelphia 76ers. I can only speak for myself, but I did not expect to see what happened happen. But it is awfully exciting. How did this last couple of days shake out for you? Yeah, so I certainly expected them to be active at the deadline. I thought it was going to be more supplementary in nature than what ended up happening. Um, the Tobias Harris trade definitely caught me off guard. You know, it was something where you look at them and you look at what they did back in November with Jimmy Butler and you thought that was going to be their big splash. You know, you looked at their future salary cap and it's still going to be very interesting how that shakes out. And you just looked at how few assets they had and you th- thought they were kind of done making that big splashy trade. And, you know, I think that's a really interesting decision they make. I think there's things to love about it and things to be concerned about it. But it, it, it certainly caught me off guard. And I think what they ended up doing, you know, with Ennis um, and with moving on with Markel, I think that was more what I was expecting. Maybe one more contributor type piece in there. Uh, the Harris trade certainly caught me off guard. And as you said, it was a very different kind of move than I anticipated in a couple of different ways. The most important being just going after not only a starter, but going after a long-term starter. I mean, there are ways that this does not, that Tobias Harris is not a part of the Sixers long-term plan. He has a lot of control over that as a pending unrestricted free agent who's basically not, he's not going to sign an extension. But going that big and giving up what, you know, giving up the resources that they did, including that unprotected Miami first round pick, which you and I have discussed at various iterations of this podcast before, that's a big step. Like they, 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 it's not just that they got Tobias Harris. It's that they identified Tobias Harris as the guy for now and moving forward. Yeah. And I think, I think Tobias Harris was a natural fit that you looked at and you said, okay, well in free agency this summer, like who are the ones that are First of all, realistic, and we can sit here and we can dream about Kawhi or KD or whatnot, and you know those are varying levels of fantasies. But when you started breaking down who was realistic, you know Tobias Harris was pretty high on the list. Like what he could do as a six-nine forward, what he had grown into as a shooter, um, not necessarily the defender that I think some people think he is, but a, a, a solid defender who's certainly going to give you more at this stage athletically than you know Wilson Chandler, who he's effectively replacing. You looked at him, and I, I thought he was an interesting long-term fit. I just didn't expect it to be in February 2019. So I think it's it's really interesting. I'm of many different minds of this and many other things. But certainly in this, you know, on the one hand, I thought it was a pretty strong overpay for an impending free agent. And when you look at giving up two draft picks, including one that's a – I don't want to say a high – has high trade value, but it has high variance. Like it could go in many different directions – but an unprotected pick from a, a team in Miami that's a little bit in flux, you know, that was, to me, I think a little bit of an overpay just on market history and precedent. Is it a bad trade? We'll find out. You know, I think Tobias Harris is a really good fit. I think the Sixers obviously feel confident they can keep him around long term. We can get into that contract and whether that's good or bad. You know, I think he's 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 going to be an interesting max contract right around a max given how many suitors there are in free agency. Because he's young enough where even if it is a little bit of an overpay, you can probably live with it. But I think, 
you know, it's probably a bit of an overpay, but I think there's reason to be optimistic about the fit too, which I think makes it a really interesting trade. Before we get into the encore thing, something that you wrote about in your piece for The Athletic, and I, I talked about, though I wish I had talked about it a little bit more, I was just already at 1,600 words, and I'm just like, I'm sitting there going, I, even though it's The Athletic, so there isn't a, a, a little bit, I'm just sitting there going, are people really going to read this? Is about I the, say that every time I write. Is about the mechanism that is open now. One way of describing it as a best case scenario really depends on your personal opinion there. But what having Tobias Harris on the team versus signing him does is it opens up this doorway for them theoretically retaining Jimmy Butler, retaining Tobias Harris, and then functioning as an over-the-cap team to allow them to keep this current starting five together by re-signing J.J. Redick using bird rights. Right. There would have been almost no way to take the current starting five and bring them back next year if you don't make this trade. If you would have gone out and tried to sign Tobias Harris, unless J.J. Redick was doing something crazy like signing for the room mid-level, he was not going to be coming back. You would have had to relinquish him to have the space to sign Tobias Harris. So this opens up the possibility of bringing the entire gang back. And as a, a starting five, I think that could be really interesting. And that is one benefit you gain from making the trade now um, because, yeah, you give up those two draft picks, which, again, I think is a, a steep price given history. And, you know, I, I kind of said this, and I think people say, like, you're here steep price and risk, and I think both of those can be used to describe this from the Sixers' perspective. That doesn't necessarily mean wrong, and I think this is one of the reasons why. But it brings back the avenue of either that or using Harris's relatively low, given his expected future contract cap hold, um, and using that to then replace Jimmy Butler if you don't feel like that is a relationship you want to depend on long term. So it does open up some flexibility. You know, I think that extra fifth year and the raises with the bird rights is something the Sixers value. I think the Sixers clearly value making a run this year. So there's a lot of benefit to doing the trade now rather than waiting. Uh, we, you know, we will see how this plays out. Let's get to the on-court elements of this. It is a really compelling fit because there are elements of this that make total sense for the Sixers. And then there are some, you know, kind of fit issues that might be a little bit thornier than some think. And the part that fits well is Tobias Harris, has, as you said, turned himself into a wonderful shooter. It has been a massive development that will make him a ton of money over his career. And there are a lot of guys his size that haven't made that transition. And that is why Tobias Harris is, you know, on the fringes of the all-star conversation is going to get a max contract or something very close to it. That part of it fits well. And defensively, I'm fascinated because I've been a little bit lower on Spice Harris's defense for years. He's been a part of some weird groups that just didn't do as well. But Philadelphia has a very different situation because they can basically make him the number four defender in their front court, you know, however we're going to define Ben Simmons here. And so he'll get some tough assignments just by virtue of how they how they structure this defense. But I think he will be in more manageable situations overall. So the only thorny thing for me is just that Tobias Harris is very comfortable with the ball in his hands, and that will be harder to do. But he has a much better off-ball game than some of the other Sixers players, which have made it more of a too-many-cook situation sometimes. Yeah. And I mean, you know, defensively, like you said, he's not going to have the biggest defensive responsibility in the world. Although the Sixers are probably going to switch a lot one through four. So he's he's going to have to hold up against some of those. But you do have Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler who can go out and theoretically take the most difficult front court or, or perimeter assignment. Um, so he's going to have that flexibility. You know, he's effectively placing from last year's. If you go back and you look at last year's starting lineup that went out, made it the second round and lost to the Celtics, he's effectively replacing Dario Saric's role. Um, so he's not nearly a perfect defender, but he certainly has more upside and more ability 
if not maybe consistency, than who he's replacing, um, both this year and last year. So I think that's a, a, it's still a positive, even if it's not maybe what you would hope he will be eventually. Um, offensively, I think that's key that he can function both as a catch and shoot or off ball player. And also that, you know, he can create in the post. He can create out of the pick and roll over the last few years. He can, he can, he can break his man down. Sixers last year, outside of the fact they just missed shots against Boston, they also really had nobody who could even think of attacking off the dribble and beating a closeout. And Boston just dared Robert Covington to do that. They ran him off the three point line. And the Sixers now replacing Covington with Butler and replacing Sharge. With Harris, you know, they have a lot more ability to do that. They can, you know, stagger their lineups. And I think that's where, you know, you look at him, his growth as a, as a shot creator, at least for himself. And he can, he, he's going to get those opportunities. Sixers are going to stagger a lot, whether that is, you know, a lot of times lately the Sixers have been trying to experiment with Jimmy Butler as a, a you know, the backup point guard essentially, put him with a little more pick and rolls of spacing around Embiid and let those two kind of go to work. And that's left Ben Simmons out to create with, Brett Brown calls it the Ben and Friends lineup, and it, it's just a whole bunch of sort of the Sixers role, role players. And you can slot Harris in next to Simmons and let him create a lot in the half court in those sets. I think the amount that the Sixers stagger their lineups will help Harris go back to maybe a role that he's a little more comfortable with over the last few years and get the looks to keep him happy in that regard. Brett Brown has been so much more amenable to it, and they still will need to go with the five-man lineup probably to start and finish games and then maybe finish halves as well. Most teams end up going in that direction. And as long as they're succeeding, it won't, it won't be too much of a problem. I mean, that, that's generally the way this works. If, But if, you know, when you lose a game and it's close and somebody goes, oh, man, if the ball had been in my hands, then we would have won. And especially if they end up saying that either publicly or saying that in the wrong moment privately, it can be a thing. But I mean, well, not that, this team. That would never happen. Never, never. There aren't any vocal people who would who would ever try to create a disturbance either deliberately or inadvertently. That doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's something to consider for sure. And I think I'm on the side where I would much rather worry about that than worry about, like, let's say what happened what happened in you know New Orleans or what happened in New York with Porzingis. Like, if I'm going to have the option of too many stars or not enough stars, it's it, it's pretty pretty easy. Um, but it's a it's a it's a pretty big concern, and especially for a team that over the past couple of months had two players, you know, sort of speak out in that regard, or at least voice displeasure in that regard. It is, I mean, that that Brett Brown, I'm sure, when he is asked about this trade, and he hasn't, they haven't been available either, or Elton Brand or Brett Brown. I'm sure he will talk that you know, keeping everybody in roles that they're comfortable with and satisfied with will be his biggest priority, um, and he will have a lot of work to do integrating all of these new pieces. Intro rotation that's going to be playing playoff games now in, you know, two months. Along the lines of the point that you made about too many stars versus too few stars, and a possibly underappreciated part of getting Tobias Harris now, you you mentioned this before, but there there's there are a couple different wrinkles here, which is the idea that maybe they end up paring this down by one. And that could be with them as the impetus, like just saying, Hey Jimmy, thanks for your time, but we end up we want to go in a different direction. It could be either Butler or Harris leaving. It could even be if for whatever reason they think that Simmons is duplicative. I don't expect that, especially I was at the game in Oracle when he was just awesome against the Warriors. But now it's a lot easier to do those sorts of moves, whether it involves a trade or just signing somebody different when you already have the big pieces. Otherwise, you're going you're, you're going to probably sign everybody, keep everybody because you're too afraid that you're never going to get somebody that good again. Yeah, and it does 
does give them some flexibility in that regard. You're not this is going to come off harsh, I mean, but you're not you're not held hostage to any one decision. Um, you can you can recover if Jimmy Butler decides he wants to go to New York or or, or the Clippers or wherever he might want to go. You're still going to have three really good core pieces, and I think that's going to be really interesting because there's so much in flux in the NBA right now. And whether you go to you know, Kevin Durant and where he could go, and, and I hope Kevin doesn't get mad at me and, and call me childish, but there's flux in that situation. There's Kyrie Irving being talked about. There's Kawhi Leonard. Those are the Sixers' two biggest challengers. Well, two of the three. Uh, certainly no no just But, I mean, even Milwaukee has Middleton and Brogdon, who I think everyone just assumes will come back, but there's still a little bit of uncertainty. So you have all of that flux in the top of the Eastern Conference and in, in the top team in the league. And the Sixers, at the very least, have two locked in in Embiid and Simmons. And you're seeing how that can really, you know, I think we're seeing that Ben Simmons, for as good as he is, he still has room to grow. And you, you referenced the um, the Warriors game and bringing that out more consistently. And if he does that and the Sixers all of a sudden have two top ten players in the league as their focal point, and now you add Tobias Harris as a third, you can lock into a good young core for a long time that should lead to sustainable success now they're going to have some difficulty and lack of flexibility on the trade market in in their salary structure and that's going to be something they're going to have to overcome but they have a starting point that that is still really young and and like we said i think i think harris fits in really well with the sixers and that's even you know irrespective of what jimmy butler decides to do and what the sixers decide to do with him in free agency as well you brought up the salary structure and something that struck me when working on the the piece I wrote on the Tobias Harris trade was how that best case scenario we discussed earlier where they are able to keep Redick by staying over the cap and re-signing both Harris and Butler. That team gets incredibly expensive pretty quickly because Ben Simmons is two seasons away from being on his new contract. He could actually sign an extension sooner than that. It would just kick in for, for that season. I believe that's the 2020-21 season. And the Sixers, you know, under Josh Harris's ownership, there were years in the trust of the process era when they had very cheap payrolls and it was under a different front office, but it was the same ownership group. And there could be some big tax bills coming in the horizon should that scenario come to pass. Do you have a read yet for their willingness to pay those kind of bills? I mean, they are giving off all of the vibes and the statements that they are more than willing to pay the bill when it comes around. And it's easy to say now when you're still right at the salary cap. It's easy maybe even to say when you're the first year in the cap or in the tax. But when you start getting into the repeater tax territory, we'll see. Like it's good that right now there is confidence that they will keep this core around and make the financial commitment to do so. Um, but it's even better when that's proven to be true and it plays out. Um, but right now they are expressing all kinds of confidence that they are willing to make the sacrifice to keep this core around. It can also just put a lot of pressure on the threshold that the team has to be at at that given point in order to make it worthwhile. Right. And a great example here just happened in Washington, where Ernie Grunfeld had decisions to basically sign three different players to max contracts in, I believe it was 14 months. And each of those decisions at least had a justification. I agreed more with one of them than the other two, but they were still there. And then what happened was they made these big obligations. They were excited about it when they did it. But then when the bill came due, not only was it a big bill, but the team wasn't worthwhile. And so right. I fully expect the Sixers to be substantially better than the Wizards have been not only this year, but in, in most prior iterations. But it does put that heat on that you need to be good enough to make the bill justified. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is really easy to pay a luxury tax bill when you're a young, up and coming team with all kinds of, you know, happiness about your upside, and you have these optimistic, rosy views. If it doesn't come out to pass, then that's when you start worrying. And you know, that that really to me, that's what this trade is all about. If things work out, it's a great trade. If they don't work out, you're inflexible. You're paying too much. Your owner could be unhappy. And that's where the risk is. And, you know, I think a lot of times when we, we make trades, we evaluate trades, we assume it's going to work out. And I think this has a pretty good chance of working out. Like like everything, I think of it in terms of probability. I think the probability this works out is pretty strong. But if it doesn't, the, the pushback um, is going to be pretty strong too. Um, so we will – makes it interesting to watch unfold. Still have a few important topics to talk about with Derek Bodner, but I want to take a moment to tell you about Peter Millar. Peter Millar was founded in 2001 with a single cashmere sweater and has grown into a premium American lifestyle brand featuring a wide range of casual sportswear, tailored menswear, and luxury performance golf apparel. I was honestly unfamiliar with Peter Millar as a brand before they came onto the show, and it was exciting because I just got a package in the mail. I didn't, I didn't even know at that point that they were a sponsor, and I pulled out the dress shirt. There's a polo shirt, and then there was another shirt and I would it was just it was really comfortable it was really well made and then that all fit together when I talked with people who worked at the company about the materials that they use they partner with the most skilled craftsmen artisan in the artisans in the world they're very detail oriented and that's not only in terms of the materials but also in terms of the processes that they use and you see that in all of the garments I have, the dress shirt has become a heavy piece of my rotation. It looks great. It feels great. And the polo shirt is among my absolute favorites that I have. And so if I was unfamiliar with them and I wear dress clothes for work all the time when I go to games and everything like that, you should definitely check them out. It's fantastic quality material. And the way that you can do that is you go to Peter Millar, M-I-L-L-A-R, dot com slash real gm this one is a url and if you go there not only does it tell them that you came from us but you get complimentary shipping and you get a free hat so you can go to that url peter millar m-i-l-l-a-r.com slash real gm take a look they have a, a wide variety i mean they do some beautiful color work like the cut the blue on the polo shirt i have is is gorgeous and it's different from a lot of the other things and as a ucla alum i wear a lot of blue so whatever needs you have for your wardrobe, they they have something to fit it. And again, Peter Millar, M-I-L-L-A-R dot com slash real GM tells you you came from us, complimentary shipping and a free hat. Check it out. I was going to transition into the Eastern Conference arms race, but we might as well talk about the other big move that the Sixers made. And this one is not as big on the court as it is just with the organization. That is the decision to trade Markel Fultz. They did so to the Orlando Magic for a pick that you and I are both very familiar with. I'm going to try to say Pesheznik's, but it's I'm almost definitely wrong on that. The pick that was originally Philadelphia's in that trade that now is back there. It OKC will convey this to now Philadelphia again if it is 21 to 30. Otherwise, it becomes seconds. They also get Cleveland's second round pick, which is basically going to be a top two, top three pick in the second round for the 2019 draft, which is pretty nice. And now the Markel Fultz drama is in a different part of the East Coast. Yeah, it it really is crazy that the Sixers traded Jeremy Grant for the OKC pick, the OKC pick for Prasetchniks, and then traded Markel Fultz to get that OKC pick back. It is uh, it is uh, right when that came up and you look and you go, wait a minute, that sounds very familiar. And it was, uh, you know, not quite full circle. That would be getting Jeremy Grant back, but close to full circle. 
it is, you know, what the Sixers, I guess, first of all, it doesn't surprise me they traded Markel Fultz. You know, I thought they were going to use him. When you looked at the Sixers' salary cap structure after the um, after the Tobias Harris trade, they didn't have a whole lot left to match salary. So I thought Fultz would have been used to match a salary in a trade getting more of a, an immediate contributor role player for the stretch run. So I thought there was a decent chance he would be traded. Um, it wasn't the trade I was expecting, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad trade. Like I just, I think part of the thing is I didn't expect a real legitimate first round draft pick to be available for Markel Fultz. And I, you look at it now and you almost can say that they got borderline two first round draft picks, uh, with how good that Cleveland pick should be. So I think they got a lot more back in terms of draft capital than I would have expected. You know, that pick has a pretty high probability of conveying next year. It's not going to be the greatest first-round pick in the world. But for a team that was starting to get a little strapped for draft capital, at least first-round draft capital, in future years, you know, it was recouping back a little bit of what they gave up for Harris. And when you look at the Harris trade, um, the picks they, they traded away for him, three of those four picks they, they essentially generated – out of the 2017 draft. The Miami pick they got because they traded back six spots. The two second-round picks from Detroit they got because they traded the 38th pick in the 2017 draft for them. So the trade hurts because they lost four draft picks. But they created those draft picks pretty quickly. And recouping this now first-round draft pick back, in the year that they sent it out, they're still bound by the Stepien because there's all kinds of, you know, because of the conveyance and the, and the not guarantee it will convey next year. But they, they, they've, they've done a pretty good job replenishing the draft assets they lost. Um, at least if you look at it from where they were, you know, before this trade. Um, certainly you're not going to look at the 2017 draft, trading up to select Markel Fultz and all that and, and think that they ended up coming out ahead. But I think they ended up getting more back than I expected given where this had gone. The financial ramifications beyond this season are really important for the Sixers because John Simmons only has a million guaranteed for next year. If they decide they don't want John Simmons, it would be very easy to move in a different direction there. Just like with James Ennis, Ennis has a player option. If he picks that up, they could move him to somewhere else. He also might not pick that up, of course. And Marco Fultz would have made, I believe it's $9.7 million, which was fully guaranteed because they had picked up that option year. So... I like evaluating trades from each team's perspective completely separately because they have different motivations, they have different pressures, and I generally like the Markel Fultz trade for both teams. I mean, Orlando needed to take some risks. They were, they're, you know, a little bit capped out. They have all this bad money, and even some of it is decent money, but it's just a lot of it for a team that is on the fringes of playoff contention. And so there's a chance Marco Fultz is, you know, not not a too valuable player there, but they needed to roll the dice a couple times, whereas the Sixers, they don't need to roll those kinds of dice anymore. And the commitment financially to him would have made a couple of the optionality moves that might be necessary, whether we're talking the Jimmy Butler replacement route or just keeping the their overall bill next year manageable. So the teams were in different places and just kind of passed a piece that made more sense for one team than the other. Yeah, and I think I think that's always a good way to look at trades. Like I think, you know, you look at the Tobias Harris trade, and it would have made zero sense for the Clippers to turn down that trade. Like that was a huge win for them. That was a huge haul for them. For where they are, you know, they're they're going out and looking for their Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons in free agency. They're trying to get those two cornerstone pieces. For the Sixers, it's a little bit different. And I think I think evaluating trades through that context. Is important, you know. I think I think Orlando has to operate a little bit in the the, the Brooklyn mold, where you know, oh, you can't draft Karis Levert; he's got an injury, or 
you know, oh, you know, D'Angelo Russell has been disappointing. You can't take a contract like that. Like the Lakers and the Nets were in two very different positions and you have to evaluate it for each of those positions. So I think it makes sense for Orlando to take that risk. You know, Fultz is really, really talented and he does work hard and I really do hope it works out for him. And I think it makes sense for Orlando to trade for him where he doesn't have the weight of the world on his shoulders, where he's not coming off of being that number one overall pick and with those expectations and with that disappointment. And for the Sixers, I mean, it, it does have help you financially. Um, you know, I think it would have been interesting if they would have kept him. Would they have stretched him over the summer? I think before the Tobias Harris trade, I think that was probably easier to do. I think now when you start looking at some of those potential luxury tax bills, maybe, you know, maybe having that 3.3 mil or whatever on the books for the next two years was a little, little tougher to swallow. I don't know. Um, but it's, 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 to me, it's a, a win because you get rid of the contract. It's a win because you get those two draft picks that are, are, decently valuable and it's a win for Markel Fultz because it gets a new place where he can go and and maybe turn his career get around and get back to doing what he enjoys doing hopefully being under a little bit less of a microscope can really can really help him and it's certainly possible that it will let's talk a little bit about the arms race in the eastern conference Tobias Harris probably kicked that off. I don't know if that had any sort of a driving effect on the other moves that happen, but Milwaukee adds Nikola Miritich, Toronto adds Marc Gasol, and we are setting up for an absolutely monstrous second round in Eastern Conference Finals, and the teams with incredibly high stakes because they all have pending restri- pending free agents that have big decisions to make. Yeah, no, it's going to be a, a, a great... And, you know, I think the Sixers probably have the biggest adjustment in terms of fitting everybody in. Like, I think they acquired the two players with the most expectations in terms of their offensive role. And a lot of times that's the most difficult to integrate into your system. You know, I think the Toronto acquisition of Gasol is fascinating because he plays Embiid so well and how that would impact a potential playoff matchup. Valanciunas actually played Embiid pretty well, too. Uh, but Gasol is certainly the, the far more accomplished defender and, and, and gives Embiid even more of a, a, a struggle. Um, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, this is a team you look at. Milwaukee, to me, has been clearly the best throughout the duration of the season. But then you have Toronto, who now has two really good defenders at the Sixers' primary offensive focal points. You know, They have Kawhi they can throw on Ben Simmons. They have Gasol, who now they can throw on Embiid. And how that matchup shakes out, you know, I think this is where acquiring Butler and acquiring Harris helps the Sixers a little bit because if the Sixers or if the Raptors throw Gasol on on Simmons, hopefully then you have somebody, one of those two, who can help attack a mismatch if the Raptors then switch that. You know, the Raptors were never going to put Kawhi Leonard on Robert Covington. That was never an option. There was never, you know, Covington was never going to score 20 and a half and force that to, to, them to change their strategy. Maybe now Jimmy Butler or Tobias Harris do, do, and that would, you know, maybe free up Ben Simmons a little bit for some mismatches, mismatches he otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, it's going to be real fascinating. I mean, these are coaches now that have a lot of work to do. It is difficult a lot of times to make these kind of major changes late in the season. How well this is integrated might factor in pretty large in the playoffs. Um, I mean, the Sixers can't even count how many new faces they're going to have. When they take the court, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun. I mean, this is, uh, the Eastern Conference has been this fun and this open and this competitive at the top in quite some time. And I'm looking forward to it. It's still really early, but is there any team of those other three that, as, that you think the Sixers would most prefer to face and the least prefer to face? Uh, no. 
<laughs> That's totally you know, Toronto fair. Toronto has caused them fits, like just absolute fits. When Kawhi Leonard has been healthy and on the court, he missed the one game, and that's the game that the Sixers won. Sixers have not looked all that competitive. And Boston obviously caused them fits last year. I think in terms of quality, I think Boston is the one that you think, you know, there's a, a chance. But I think everybody remembers what happened in that playoff series, and I think I think they're in their heads a little bit too. It'll be interesting to see how the Sixers match up with Milwaukee. Uh, they've only played them once so far, and that was on a back-to-back for the Sixers. And the Sixers at that time were, were – they'd been playing a lot of back-to-backs and playing on the road, and they hadn't been playing well in either of those two scenarios. It'll be interesting to see how these newly – you know, these teams with new pieces and maybe a little more equal footing, how they match up with them. Um, I would love to see an Embiid Giannis matchup. I think that might be the most entertaining. Uh, but it would be, you know, I, none of those teams I think would be easy per se. Um, I think it's going to be the top four of these, I think is going to be fascinating. It's a shame. Indiana is not in this conversation anymore because of the Oladipo injury. Uh, that is a, a, a shame for the league. But no, I think I think all of these teams would be difficult. I think the Sixers could compete. I'm real interested to see how this new starting five meshes. But I don't think there's a a, a, a matchup you root for per se. No. I'm happy you brought up the six the Pacers because that's is a real shame. I mean, Oladipo had been a big part of what they did, and the Pacers were in this mix and it also changes the tenor of the first round because the and the regular season because there would have been a much stronger force to avoid the four seed yep to to not have to face them and it looks like the pacers i mean getting west matthews will help but they're just not as dangerous as they were before and it's unfortunate it happens who knows maybe i mean it always gets dangerous to look two months even down the road because you never know if an injury is going to change this for one or more teams but I am really excited for what's coming up, but I want to end this with a question that does not necessarily relate to the Sixers, which is a move outside of their lens that happened during this trade deadline week that was interesting or notable to you. You know, I mean, I think I would just end up going with the the obvious ones. I like I like the big league changing moves. So I would go with the decision not to trade Anthony Davis. And I think that plays right into Boston's hands. You know, I think if there's one person who's going to call Rich Paul on his bluff and say, I don't care if he's telling me it's a rental, I'm still going to do it. I think that's going to be Danny Ainge. I think that's in part because of what happened, you know, back when Paul Pierce wanted out and back when Kevin Garnett said he didn't want to be there. And Ainge found a way to make that work. And he found a way to acquire Ray Allen and change everybody's opinion and get Garnett on board. But I think if there's one person who's going to say, like, look, if we acquire you in a trade, Kyrie Irving's not leaving. If Kyrie Irving's here, we're going to go to make a run to the NBA Finals. And I think he would be the one who's to say, I'll dare you to walk away from that after the season. And I think it's going to be, you know, I think I think the Lakers, the way they played this, at least initially, you know, I think they stepped to the table late. But initially feeling like they had all of that leverage, I think may have actually ended up helping Boston's case. Because I think, I think now that it's going to get to the the um, now that's going to get to July, I think I think Boston is is a, I expect them to be the one to make that gamble. Um so I think that played into their hands a little bit. I think it's going to be real interesting to see how Danny Ainge reacts to that. So I think my most interesting thing is a move that wasn't made. And also, the, I mean, the Porzingis trade. There were so many layers to that Porzingis trade and how it impacted both teams in the long term. Um, I mean, that was a, a, a real – came out of left field, came out of left field very quickly. 
uh, but it has a lot of wrinkles to it that I, I found really fascinating. New Orleans getting this to what will be a wild bidding war in probably late June is more accurate than early July just because of the way the draft works. I think this will be a conversation that happens in the, the week before the draft most significantly. Right, for sure. And how all of these different, I mean, it's really only about five to seven guys that are going to impact the direction of the league for the next half decade. You know, like where, where these players go, who chooses to play together, who chooses chooses to stay where they are and how all their decisions affect each other and who has relationships that are going to affect it. I mean, I don't expect any of them are like going to go back on their word or anything like that. You're not going to see a situation where, you know, player X tells player Y I'm going to this team. And then the other player signs and they go, ha ha, I'm going somewhere else. Like we're not going to get anything that ridiculous, but what do they each prioritize? What situations are worth staying in? It's, it's going to be crazy. And the fact that we have this many guys in good situations to great situations that are openly considering being somewhere else is something that I don't have a calibrator for. No, it used to be, you know what? Win games, give them a max. You had a chance. Nowadays, it is a, you you never truly know. Like there are always, each player is unique and that's good. Like everyone should have their own unique motivations and desires, but it does make trying to predict this a little, a lot more difficult. And it's going to be a wild couple of months. Like this, this is going to be an incredible end of the season. It's going to be a fun playoff run. I think it's going to be a fun fun offseason, too, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. I think the league's in a great spot. It is, and this sprint over the next few months is going to be wild. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks again to Derek Bodner for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at The Athletic. You can also follow him on Twitter at Derek Bodner, NBA, D-E-R-E-K-B-O-D-N-E-R-N-B-A. And before we move on to the next guest, I want to talk about Art of Sport. Art of Sport does a lot of different products within the same vein, and it is with a cohesive idea, and that is that what you wear and what you put into your body is made to help you look, feel, and perform your best. So what you put on your skin should do the same, especially since you do it every day. And that leads Art of Sport to make products that are better for you, that perform better. And I got a package of different products from them, and I'm very brand loyal with with skin products, with a lot of things that you use a lot because you find something you're comfortable with and you and you keep rolling with it. And I wanted to give all of all of their different components a fair shot, and I love them. They my, it is now my go-to deodorant. It is my favorite bar soap, and the sunscreen is great too. So what you can do if you want to try it out for yourself, I love the promotion that they're doing. You go to artisport.com and you use the promo code REALGM and what you get is 50% off a trial kit plus free shipping. Now, a trial kit includes the aforementioned deodorant, body bar, and a hair and body wash, but it also includes a free sunscreen. I've really enjoyed the sunscreen as well. So you can try all of these different products, see what you like. I I love them. I, they are now my things. When I, when I run out of the ones I have, I will get more. And it's a great way to, to t- test out the products, make sure that you like it, and then hopefully you go back for, for plenty more. So again, what you do is you go to artofsport.com, you use that real GM promo code, and you get that 50% off the trial kit and free shipping. We all deserve to give our skin what it needs to look, smell, and feel its best. So check out Art of Sport. Next up is Tim Cato, also of The Athletic. Dallas had an extremely eventful 
last week, starting off with the blockbuster trade, Dennis Smith, two first round picks for Kristaps Porzingis, and then a bunch of salary coming back. Also, of course, Wes Matthews and DeAndre Jordan in the deal. And then they capped off the week on Wednesday night by trading Harrison Barnes to the Sacramento Kings. And Tim and I talk about both of those trades, the battle plan now for the Mavericks, how it all fits in with Luka Doncic and everything else, and a really great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, glad to be here. I wanted to talk with you because while there were a lot of teams that I think we saw a big deadline week, and for for the Mavericks, obviously, it was a week coming, this was at least to me more surprising and a a huge just shift for the franchise. Oh yeah, the Mavericks just completely tore down their post uh or I'm sorry, their pre-Luca draft strategy, their team building strategy, all of that. Uh they they essentially walked all of that back in the span of a week and uh said Luca's the cornerstone. Uh we're going to bring in Kristaps as a as a second cornerstone um and and just sincerely uh you know Took back all, you know, they, they had had two years of, of, uh, kind of tanking and, and losing and, and low level, low stakes basketball that, that led to draft picks, um, and, and free agency additions and, and Harrison Barnes and, and pretty much in the span of a week, all that is gone and, and the team's on a completely different trajectory. It takes a lot to make that kind of a move. And what draws a parallel for me between this and the trade where they got Luka Doncic is the sheer confidence in their evaluation. And depending on how things, you know, how things turn out, that is can be a good thing, can be a bad thing. Famously, Danny Ainge did a really good job of that with the Markel Fultz-Jason Tatum trade. I would say right now, especially given their specific constraints, the Doncic trade is looking good for Dallas. Not that it's bad for for Atlanta. You look at things differently for the two teams. And Porzingis, I mean, considering the sacrifices that they made to make that trade happen, I mean, that's not only giving up two first-round picks. Dennis Smith, who they drafted seventh overall a few years ago. Was it eighth? Either way. And also taking on some... Ninth, I think. Ninth. Oh, yeah, that's right, because the Knicks passed on him. Yeah, that's right. And, And taking on some negative value contracts the degree of negative is is a point of discussion that's a lot to do but their counter i'm sure is that players as good as Kristaps Porzingis as young as Kristaps Porzingis are not available in any way shape or form that often everything they gave up uh Dennis Smith the the draft picks the draft pick to Atlanta everything they've given up every asset they've given up ideally would be used to get a Luca, which they got Luca, or to get a Kristaps, and now they have Kristaps. Those, I think, it's not a reach at all to say those can be the best two players on a championship team. Um, Luca is obviously already on that trajectory. Kristaps uh, will need a little bit more work, uh, especially health-wise. Uh, you know, just overall, that's probably the biggest challenge that, that Dallas is facing over the next half decade is how to keep Kristaps healthy, how to keep him on the floor. Um, but, but I, I, there's not much doubt in my mind that those two players are young enough and, uh, talented enough and have enough potential that they could be the best two players on a championship team. And, you know, that's what the, the entire point of this is. And, and so you're giving up some flexibility to build around them. Sure. You know, you're not going to be able to do it through the draft for the most part. You know, you still have a couple picks mixed in there. Um, the, the idea is that they're going to be late first round picks anyway, because you're going to be a playoff team. Uh, you know, so that's certainly what Dallas is thinking. 
Um, there's always a chance they could land in the top five with the, with the new lottery odds this season, but you know they're expecting that pick to go away as well uh, to, to be shipped over to Atlanta. Uh, but but to get those two, you know, the hardest thing to do at at any point, you can always get you know players around the edges, and Dallas has done a really good job at that. You know, just finding you know random free agents. You know, Maxi Kleber is is one of the most impactful players on their their team, and you know he was a a undrafted uh, free agent. You know, just a to- total no name that they brought over and turned into the uh, the, the value uh, player and in, in, in the role that he that he is in uh, now. Um, but you can always you can always find players right like that around the edges. The hard part is finding the cornerstone players. And once they had Luca, and once they realized how quickly he was going to be that cornerstone player, and, and basically is already almost an all star, uh, they, they realized it was time right now to go get that other cornerstone. And when it presented itself with Porzingis, uh, you know they they made it happen. And I think that was absolutely the right move, even if things don't pan out the way that they hope, you know, even if he does have injury history and things like that, I, I think the logic behind the trade made, made total sense to me. The logic behind the trade is sound. I, I don't have much of an issue with it. I'm The concerns that I have are twofold. So the first part, you already alluded to it, and it's, it's an important thing, is is Kristaps Porzingis' injury history. Some people are saying, oh, you know, he's covering, recovering from a torn ACL. Sure, that's a consideration. I mean, there are guys whose careers have been affected by it. But for me, it's more that even before that, he has, been, he has dealt with health issues. He played 65 games the year before, and then he played, I think, 72. I think those are the two two win totals for the seasons that were not derailed by a full season injury. And there is this other element that large human beings, especially with lower body injuries, you know, that they can deal with this as an accumulation. It can sidetrack careers. And that is by no means a a definite for Porzingis. There is an argument obviously to be made that they can be managed better. And that even if it, you know, there's a possibility that the possibility and maybe probability that it doesn't happen is there. It's just it's just something that you have to deal with. The Sixers have been going through this with Joel Embiid for years, and while their two injury histories are not remotely the same, it's just kind of a, an important reminder of how that can work out and how that can you know not work out. Yeah, I, I thought I was still talking there for a second because I've literally said those exact same things that that you know it's it's not the ACL itself. It's it's everything around it. It's the fact that he's seven three. It's the fact that he has injuries before that. Um, I, I have literally said said that exact thing, and I think that's what worries the, the Mavericks. Not enough, of course, uh, not to trade for him. You know, they, they they clearly went out and made the trade and, and feel confident that they uh, they can keep him healthy. And they do have a track record with a very good uh, medical staff of, of of bringing players in and then keeping them healthy or or uh, or, or having them uh, you know consistently stay healthy despite injuries at previous stops. Uh, so so I, I do think that you know there's a lot of trust put in Casey Smith, the, the head trainer, and everybody around him. Um, and also, you know, I, I think not that not that there's any real risk of Chris Stapps taking the qualifying offer like, like was floated out there. But as much as Dallas needs to make a sales pitch, I, I think that's going to be in their sales pitch that they have a plan, they have a proven uh, track record with their, with their medical staff. Uh, of keeping players healthy, you know, ever since let's say Steve Nash, you know, in, in the past decade, they, they, I think overall they have a they have a pretty sound uh, uh, history of results um, outside of a, a few Chandler Parsons here and there and things like that, um, and and so you know that's that's definitely going to be a big part of of both what Dallas is thinking and why Dallas did bring him in and why they feel confident about all this. 
but it's still a concern. And sometimes if you're 7-3, you just get injured and there's nothing that can be done about it. And if that's the case, then, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a very unfortunate, you know, it's, it's something that Dallas will have to dig themselves out of in a few years and, you know, hopefully, uh, still have a Luka Don. Fully committed to the team and in have time to do that. And that is the one nice thing that you already have a basically all star at, at the age of 19. So, you know, you probably have seven more years to figure out if, if Chris Tapps doesn't work next to him, you have many more seasons to, to go on and move on to a plan B. It can be hard to reconcile, but I think part of what happens with these conversations is people try to make risk more of a certain thing than it is. And I mean, the issue of people having trouble with percentages goes all over the map. I mean, there have been lots of stories with that politically and everything else. And so with Porzingis, there is a chance that he gets injured. There, You can do things as an organization to try to reduce that chance, maybe, and you can do things to mitigate to shield yourself in terms of the severity for the franchise but you just kind of have to deal with that and it's the same story in a very different lens with the assets that they gave up now there is a risk that the mavericks are worse than they anticipate and then they're giving up better assets there is a risk that dennis smith was underutilized or that he you know blossoms into a star because he's a prodigious physical talent and what I find so compelling about moves like this, and I'm not putting this at the same level as the James Harden move for a bunch of different reasons, because James Harden, you know, they, they have very different careers to this point, even though they're being traded, you know, kind of similar stages in the process. But what I find so fascinating about those situations is that potential trade partners, in this case, an actual trade partner, they're so beholden to what that specific team that holds that young player wants because there are only a couple of teams that have those players and even fewer of them that are ever willing to put them on the market, much less actually trade them. It's, it's exactly why when I first heard about this trade, my, my, my gut reaction, and again, I'm coming at this from a Dallas perspective, but my gut reaction is the Knicks did what and why and how? And, and, you know, it's been discussed and, and it does make sense from their perspective. In fact, I, I, I do like it from their perspective now that the, the first reaction I had was Dennis Smith Jr. is being traded for Christos Porzingis. And, you know, it's, it's miraculous that that was enough at, at a base. And, and again, there was obviously so much context around why that did make sense for New York and, and, you know, their confidence that, that, you know, it probably will work out. You know, I'm confident it probably will work out for, for them at this point as well. But just the fact that, that Dallas was able to take a, a, uh, a ninth overall selection who very talented, but, but hadn't proven it in Dallas, didn't fit next to, um, Luca or up to this point had not and, and turn him into someone who's a, a legitimate cornerstone, you know, with, with, you know, all the appropriate concerns that, that we've just discussed with his health and, and, and everything else around that. Um, that, that is, that is a pretty amazing piece of, of, of work and, and just a very fortunate set of circumstances because, you know, you, you can say that without, you know, Dennis Smith is never going to land you a player of Chris Stapps unless, you know, there's the looming possibility that, that New York is also going to go get Kevin Durant. It's, it's such an interesting symbiotic relationship between all these various front offices in the league and, and what they value and what they are going for and, and what they think they have coming up. And, and, you know, on a, on a, uh, in, in a vacuum on a surface, obviously Chris Stapps for Dennis is just not a fair trade in, in any way. And, and that's how Dallas feels about it. And in the same way, New York is like, 
we're giving up our star player for probably getting, you know, or having a very good chance to get two max superstars who are already established, you know, for them in that, in that same capacity, that's not a fair trade in any way at, at all. So it's just really funny how different perspectives and in different, uh, you know, situations and just where different front offices are in their, uh, you know, respective team building processes, just, just how that all works and, how I think in this case it really does or, or might benefit both sides. Another piece of this whole puzzle that came together on Wednesday night is the opportunity cost in terms of spending that it looked like Dallas was going through. Because if you get Tim Hardaway Jr., Courtney Lee, those guys were traded for expiring money in Wes Matthews and DeAndre Jordan. Well, if you added those guys in as the team was constructed before Wednesday, they weren't really going to have much cap space. There are some team building questions there because Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba in particular, are about to get raises. And so you're kind of sitting there. And then they move Harrison Barnes, who has a player option. So it's very possible he could have opted out and left and whatever else. But they moved Harrison Barnes to the Sacramento Kings, getting Justin Jackson and Zach Randolph as basically salary filler in return. And so what that did for me is it clarified exactly what Dallas's battle plan is moving forward. And so that is, they have Luca. Porzingis has this low cap hold. We'll see what en- number his co- he actually ends up getting in free agency. But now they have enough space where they need to get somebody to say yes, or multiple somebodies, depending on how they structure the space. But now 2019 free agency, that's their opportunity to get either the third piece or multiple complementary pieces, depending on what is available. Yeah, it's 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 the same thing. Where obviously on on a, a on the surface and the vacuum, Barnes for Zebo and Jackson, and they'll, they'll kick the can. You know, they'll try and, and see what Jackson is. You know, maybe there's something there with their play, player development staff. But you know, obviously he's much more of a throw in than than anything else. You know, just a just a uh, a, a test. Uh, you know, a, a player to, to, to try out and, and, and see uh, what what they have there. Um, but, you know, on, on the surface, that's not value. That's not equal value. But when you look ahead, you know, clearly that space is valuable to Dallas. And, and they, they do have plans for it. You know, I, I would certainly start with looking for that third piece, a Chris Middleton, a, you know, Clay Thompson, who isn't available as far as I know. But, you know, you never know. You can ask at least. You know, maybe Tobias Harris isn't isn't long for uh, Philly. Maybe maybe he's an option. You know, certainly that that space could right away land you net you that that third piece that you're looking for, and and you know I, I think that's that that's a really valuable use of it. I, I think that you know the, the the team obviously you know feels really good about the one two and Doncic and Porzingis. They they clearly you know know that they, they there has to be a third person mixed in there and. You know, this Barnes thing has essentially been around all season. Uh, you know, I think it was first reported by, by Winhorst. Uh, it was mentioned by Winhorst almost a month ago. And, uh, you know, just, just going from there, it, w- it was pretty obvious that, you know, any, any holdover was, uh, just a matter of, of waiting for, for Dallas to see what happened on their end, uh, for, you know, others to, you know, for Sacramento to, to see if they would actually toss in a pick or something like that. Another asset. I know Dallas wanted one more asset. They, 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 you know, were willing to just get that cap space. You know, they, they ultimately did. Uh, but they were hopeful that, that at one point they'd be able to leverage, you know, a, a Charlotte, uh, uh, bidding ward to at least get a first round pick or something like that from, from, uh, Sacramento. Um, so that was, that was, uh, that, that was kind of the, the thinking there and, 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 you know, was also a, a fact that they were very aware of when, 
they went ahead and took on that Hardaway contract and, and that Courtney Lee contract when they, when they dealt for uh, Chris Tapps. You know, it's something that they, they had to know in the moment uh, was possible. And uh, just just overall, a, a you know, it, it is kind of something that comes full cir- circle here and, and all the moves have to work together for to just see the, the complete logic behind everything that, that Dallas was juggling. And in this case, I think made, you know, two very, you know, the, the moves they made were very complimentary when, when you really look at it and uh, probably deserve to be judged in the light of the other one. And I, I think together they work better than, you know, the assets they, they probably gave up in any either trade singularly. I, I think together they work a lot better. It also is going to be fascinating to see now that it looks like cap space is an important part of the Mavericks plan. They could technically, they have that gigantic trade exception. They could do something with that instead, but it's hard to imagine that producing a better overall haul than they can get with with the cap space. And a key determinant in where they go with that, you know, supply is, is, is dictating things as well, as it always does in free agency, but also how they identify Kristaps Porzingis positionally will be incredibly important. Now, I am somebody who has said for a long time that he was miscast defensively as a power forward, that his rim protection, just keeping him close to the basket, not the most switchable guy, it would be better. he'd be better off playing center, but then you get into the scarcity idea, there aren't as many forwards as there are big, so that was a part of how that all happened. Do you have a sense yet, it's obviously really early on, of how Dallas sees Porzingis' role and fit moving forward? Yeah, I literally asked this question to Donnie Nelson a few hours ago when he when he did his his uh, post trade deadline press conference, and understandably so, he was very vague about it as as Donnie Nelson is prone to be. Uh, he is he is not a general manager who will who will ever ever say much uh, to be certain. Um, I, I would I would think I would hope that that Dallas is a you know is a smart enough. Uh, team and front office and, you know, and everything that I know about them, there's very smart people there. And, and they have to see that, you know, even if you play Porzingis a lot of minutes at the four during the regular season, that their best lineups will be with them at the five. Um, the other thing that you can say is that Maxi Kleber is almost the perfect fit where if you want to play Porzingis as a four offensively and a five defensively, uh, Kleber can do the exact, you know, he can flip and, and, and play the 5-4, if, if you will, uh, you know, when, when they're sharing the court together. It's just, I think that pairing actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think Maxi can play with literally anyone just because he's so flexible. A, a guy who can, you know, shot block and, and both block shots, uh, man-to-man defense, weak side shot block, uh, space out to the perimeter and also guard on the perimeter. You know, just an incredibly flexible big man. And I think that's, you know, just a obvious natural pairing. And that's why when I mentioned a few names, you know, with, with what they could target with that 30 million or so that they'll have in cap space this summer, assuming that's the route they take. And I think it has to be, like you said, you know, I think that's much more valuable than, than any trade exception. Uh, I, I was mentioning wings and I was mentioning guards and, and, you know, people who can play next to, you know, play kind of between Luca and, and Porzingis who are, are, you know, more off-ball focusing uh, offensive players that you know will will thrive on weak sides, but still be you know 19, 20 point scorers and and things like that are obviously high volume, high efficiency three point shooters. You know, I think that has to be the future. That's that's the one that makes sense to me. And generally, uh, you know, I I think that the the Mavericks uh, tend to feel that way as as well. You know, we will see as time time will tell. 
what actually happens. There, there was some buzz, some talk that the Mavericks' next target was going to be uh, Vucevic, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. And I wonder if that, because Vucevic is represented by Bill Duffy's agency and Bill Duffy is Luca's uh, agent, you know, that, that's my suspicions as to why that came about. And, and obviously there was, there was no actual move made, you know, at, at the deadline. Nothing even reported was, uh, was that Dallas was ever close to, to getting him then. Um, he will be a free agent, so that's a possibility. But, but I, I just don't think that's, that's the way. I, I think that the, they, they have to understand, you know, I, you know, maybe I'm the one who's wrong here, but, my understanding of, of who Kristaps is is that he's just going to make so much more sense if you can play him at the five defensively. He's not going to shift his feet out there with with quicker uh, players. You know, he can do that a little bit, but but taking him away from the rim is is not uh, an optimum position. Uh, and if you want to play him at the four on offense, that's okay. And, and it's best if you have a player who can shift in next to him. And I think they have that player in, in, in Clay Bear. And, and, you know, I think that's just a natural fit. So, you know, obviously it's not, you know, they didn't see that they had Maxi and decided, oh, now we can go trade for Kristaps. But since he's already on the roster and since he makes sense there, I, I think that uh, is a pairing that, that I, I would really like to see. Uh, and I really hope that's the direction that the team goes in. And, you know, I, I, I tend to think that that will be what, what they think. And, and the, 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 um, the, the strategy they, they employ when, when it does become that time, that time uh, to, to build the team up. I'm excited to see where they go. Dallas not going after a center would have a pretty serious ripple effect because center is the only position where there is an overabundance and some good players might end up taking less than they want. DeMarcus Cousins is an obvious example here. I've, you know, I've heard rumors about him to the Mavericks a few different times. Not saying I'm hearing him right now, obviously. Vooch, you, t- you brought that up. And Brooke Lopez has had a wonderful year. I doubt we're going to see a DeAndre Jordan return. And so that also makes those guys, I'm, I'm guessing they're a little bit less comfortable right now because not only is the center position moving away from a lot of the guys in that group, but there might not be as much of a demand. And so for Dallas, I think what's going to end up being the definitive question here is who do they prioritize? Because free agency, it's not like what sometimes happens in like you could say a video game or in the way sometimes these things have been glamorized. It's moves happen quickly. And so where you start, you can get maybe you get a deal on July 1st or beforehand. You have preliminary conversations with their agent and all that kind of stuff. And there are a lot of options, you know, and so will they go after the the big fish, you brought up Clay Thompson as, as an option. I mean, Jimmy Butler is another guy who's going to be on the open market, assuming he declines his player option. Or do they set their sights maybe a little bit lower in terms of prestige and maybe contract value? Somebody like Chris Middleton, like Danny Green, even if they wanted to go with a more more of a point guard type guy like Malcolm Brogdon or Eric Bledsoe would be fascinating. Like there there have been some things that Milwaukee has done with him that could be replicable in Dallas. And so who they choose to prioritize, what kind of offer they put out there, because really it's probably going to be one big thing or it could be two smaller pieces. Where they go is going to be definitive. It's not the key piece like getting Luca and Porzingis in the last eight months, but it's still incredibly central. Yeah, that's something that I have mentioned, have uh, spoken into various podcast forms and audio mediums, and that, you know, as much as Dallas will have a plan and, and a dream scenario and, and specific targets. What if the center market is vastest, like just vastly underappreciated or, or depreciated? I should I should say, you know, what if it does turn out that 
Boogie Cousins can be obtained for a one-year deal at, at ten million. I don't know. I'm you know I'm just throwing numbers and and years out there. But but if he's available, if, if that's the best value out there, maybe it is worth. Uh, especially since Chris Stapps does seem to not want to bang with centers eighty-two you know eighty-two games uh, during the regular season. It, it, maybe maybe there is a possibility that 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 would try a center next next to him. Maybe maybe that is uh, an option. You know, especially if they do miss out on on the various wing options, the the, the various uh, uh, point guards, or, or if the point guards or the, the guards they're targeting uh, don't work out. You know, there are, there are a lot of options there, and and, and you know that that's that's the uh, that's the weird thing is that, is that just like you said, I mean, it's not a video game. It's a very flexible, fluid situation, and you know if they, they had an free agency and. And the best option, the, the most value they can obtain is a player that maybe they didn't originally see next to uh, see next to Chris Stapps, but but could see the fit there. And then sure, maybe maybe that's what ends up ends up happening. So you know, I, I think the the top level fit. I think the dream scenario should be a a, a wing you can fit into. Uh, you know, next to Luca and, and next to Porzingis, who is, you know, not a, not a, uh, you know, more of an off ball, you know, leans off ball than on ball in terms of how much, uh, you know, their offensive game, uh, obviously a, a defender, you know, if you can get someone who can defend point guards too, then that makes it even easier to play Luca as your bona fide true, um, point guard because, then you can, uh, you know, swap the defensive mismatch, you know, matches around and, and make sure that it's not Luca on, you know, a, a 6-1 Kimba Walker every time or, or something like that. Um, you know, that, that would be a, a, uh, godsend for this team in, in terms of just being able to play a massive defensive lineup, uh, with, with, you know, probably no one under the, uh, under 6-5. You know, that, that would be a really terrifying lineup if you could actually find that point guard defender who's taller. Um, but, but yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of options, you know, I, I'm sure Dallas, uh, you know, already has an idea of what, what they would like to do this summer and, and they're already trying to formulate the, the possibilities, the likelihoods, the, the, the values and, and, and the, just the overall percentages of, of what's out there and, and what they could actually, uh, succeed in or capitalize on. Uh, but, but the fact is, you know, nobody knows and, and it's all, it's all uh, it's all a crapshoot until we get there, and and you know uh, it it should be really really fun to see see what does materialize because I think this is the most interesting you know roster one of the most interesting rosters in the league to be frank and certainly the most interesting roster Dallas is going into free agency with um, since their championship you know they 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 tried to be free agency bidders. Uh, at various times in the past, and, and really their only asset was an aging Dirk and Mark Cuban's, uh, you know, own thinking that he was an asset, which, yeah, yeah, no, not, not so much there, I'd say. Uh, but, but, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's, uh, this is the first time where I really see Dallas as legitimate, uh, uh having at least a legitimate sales pitch that, that really should be appealing to, um, I'll say anyone in the, on, on the market, even though you know the, the very top names like Kawhi Leonard, I, I'm sure, and, and, and Kevin Durant are, are are pretty much committed and, and not probably going to uh, be too uh, reciprocal or, or receptive of, of such pitches. But you know, past past those very top echelon of, of stars, I, I would find it hard to believe that that Luca plus Kristaps plus uh, their youth and their age and, and Dallas's general winning ability and, and ability to put together playoff teams, I, I, I would find that as a, as a pretty attractive sales pitch. 
it will be absolutely fascinating to see who that sales pitch resonates for. But it should be somebody. I mean, they have a, a really fun core here, young group that that can get a lot better with time. And the, the Mavericks have a great reputation as an organization, so they can work with that. Car- I think Carlisle is one of the best coaches in the league. There are two more questions I wanted to ask you. The first one is specific to this team because now they just traded for an extremely talented player who's likely going to miss all or functionally all of the remaining part of the season. So what are you watching with Dallas the rest of this year? There's still plenty of storylines. And I mean, they have a lot of newcomers that are going to play, including Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee. So what are your most important focus areas for the Mavericks the remainder of this season? Um, Maxi Kleber playing five is is one of the the huge ones. There was some concern, uh, at least stated by Rick Carlisle, maybe this was just because there was a logjam and DeAndre Jordan was present that that he didn't necessarily see Maxi playing a lot of five. Maybe was you know wasn't quite the rebounder for that position. I I, I disagree. You know, I he played a lot of five as a you know as as a rookie here. You know, a 25 year old rookie last season, but but as you know in his first season here. Um, to me, he's he's very functional in that position. Uh, but but seeing here, him there consistently, I, I think will you know uh, m- massage a lot of uh, concerns if if he is success- as successful as I think he will be, uh, presumably starting throughout the year uh, to to close the season. You know, I, I think that will be important. Tim Hardaway's fit here, um, since the Mavericks are probably stuck with him for a couple seasons. Um, I, I'm interested to see what Dallas can make of that. He is very clearly not the answer to be the third option to to Kristaps uh, and uh, and Luca. Like a couple way too optimistic Mavericks fans and, and Mavericks Twitter people uh, uh, might have mentioned to, to start with. Uh, but I think he could be a functional player. Clearly, he was for a season in Atlanta. And if Dallas can make him buy into a role similar to where he was in Atlanta, you know, I think that's that's very interesting. I, I thought it was. Uh, somewhat curious that they started Dorian Finney-Smith over him in the starting lineup uh, on Wednesday rather than, uh, than than throwing him in there, even though he did play tons of minutes. I wonder if him coming off the bench was a reminder that, hey, you don't have free reign like you did in New York and that we do want you to fit into this Carlisle system, this offensive system that that isn't going to be quite as many uh, jacked-up three-pointers and, and going to be more about you know attacking closeouts on the weak side when Luca finds you, things like that. I think he can obviously be a much more explosive offensive player uh, in, in transition than, than Wes Matthews ever was, since, since those are the minutes he's essentially taking. Um, although, now that Harrison Barnes is gone, I wonder if his shot profile, his offensive touches, won't look a little bit more like Harrison did. Uh, so, so I think that that's an interesting uh, wrinkle to watch, and uh, let's see if Luca can sweep every Rookie of the Month award. I, I think he's probably the odds-on favorite. Um, actually, uh, Vegas has stopped taking bets on Rookie of the Year because uh, I, I think Luca could get injured and miss the rest of the year right now. Uh, knock on wood, of course, and it would probably still win it at this point. I think he is uh, he's far and away the uh, the leader in, in that class. So. Um, you know, it's it's a joy. It's been a joy to watch him. It's he's just such a such fun player. He is so fun, and uh, and he's having fun out there. And and you know, I I will I will not tire of watching Luca uh, at any point this year, and and hopefully for a long long time ahead of me. Same here. He's been such a joy this year, and I want to see what players that are going to be on the Mavericks next year fit in in various roles. You brought up Kleber at the five, 
Hardaway, maybe I, I think his best fit is is as a bench creator, especially with this team. I would I would say in some ways it's even more strong. But I think it's fair, yeah. Maybe they they try him there. Courtney Lee can be a, a depth piece. I I think Courtney Lee has been underappreciated over the last few years. Now he dealt with a weird injury a lot of this year, so that's a different conversation. And what do they do with Dwight Powell? Can Justin Jackson? I think Justin Jackson is going to be more of a summer league next year thing because he's it's going to be an adjustment. You know, you, you aren't going to get to see how well he fits in with the Mavericks this year because he will have just gotten there basically but he, he could end up being a contributor and then the holdovers you know Jalen Brunson how he fits in various configurations will be interesting I want to see what Carlisle does with Trey Burke Trey Burke is a, a player that fits in to me with what he's done with some of those Energizer second units. That'll be really fun. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the Mavericks, even though we're looking forward to the future because some of these pieces will be there. Maybe they'll be in different roles and because we know that their front office is evaluating all these guys too. Yeah, the, the team, you know, isn't going to make the playoffs. You know, that that is just too tough, too tall of an ask. Um, but they should be trying to win every game because they, they need real... NBA basketball on the court to evaluate where these uh, five new players uh, factor in everywhere. I guess four new players since since Kristaps is, is out. Um, that's that's a that's a lot of names. That's a lot of uh, various pieces that that they need to throw out there. Uh, they need to continue evaluating their own players and in the new context around them where Luca is the bona fide number one and, and there's no one even. In consideration of uh, of supplanting him in that spot, so yeah, no, this these final uh, two months of the season, a little, little bit over two months, this is important. This there's a lot of uh, evaluation, there's a lot of understanding of what Dallas has on its roster that needs to be done, and you know, I think mostly, you know, I, mostly for the new players, you know, I think they have a pretty good understanding of who's on the roster. Uh, certainly, Jalen Brunson needs more development and and, and can can have more of that. Uh, whether Trey Burke is is uh, a better option than him right now is is an interesting question. I'm I'm, I'm curious to see uh, what comes of that and whether Trey can can find himself a role here or whether he uh, ends up not playing much uh, throughout the rest of the season. I can see that as a real possibility as well. And and, and like you said, uh, Lee's an undervalued piece who who I would I would love to see as a rotation player. Um, just a great three and D player. You know, basically a forty percent shooter over his career from three. So I, I'm fully with you that, that he's been undervalued. And, and then Hardaway, like I said, you know, just what degree do they do they see him, and, and what can they convince him? What role can they convince him to uh, appropriately fill, especially after New York? Uh, Kind of, kind of let him do whatever he want, wanted uh, for a while, where, where he very much had free reign over the offense. So, no, this, this is this is a very important thirty-something games for Dallas, and I, I think that you know they 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 will have a much better idea headed into the summer about what's important to them, what what priorities they have, and, and, and who's going to be part of next season's team. Which you know, frankly, should they should be prepared to make the playoffs that that should be the stated goal and a very realistic goal with with Luca and Kristaps next to each other no matter what they make of that free agency uh that that cap space I I would say that's uh a, a very reasonable uh goal to set yeah it's gonna be so much fun to, to see where this goes and my last question doesn't relate to the Mavericks explicitly and that is was there a move outside of Dallas one that they were not involved in directly or tangentially that over the last week that really struck you as being interesting or compelling just with your connection to the league? I think the most interesting move for me was Marc Gasol to Toronto. I've been, I've been a huge Toronto fan for 
a while, uh, just of, of their team, the, the way they play, the way they built that up. Um, I had them, you know, I, I, I really love how the, the top of the East is just a fascinating, you know, I, I don't think that I've been this interested in Eastern Conference bas- playoff basketball, uh, in, in years. And, uh, without LeBron and, and, and with so many teams at the top that are, that are, uh, you know, so many, but by, by so many, of course, I mean four, but four teams at the top that are, that are, you know, just very, very fascinating. I, I'm very curious to see what the Marc Gasol Toronto to Toronto move does for them, because I could see that possibly being a negative. I, I think that I understand why they made the move, but, uh, you know, I wonder if, you know, I, I think defensively Valanchunas at this point is a more effective player on that end. Uh, than, than Gasol, uh, you know, maybe that just is a factor of Memphis and, and their bad team and, and things like that. And so maybe Gasol bounces back and is every bit, you know, probably not every bit, but but closer to that defensive player of the year he once was. Or uh, or, or maybe it's it's a move that that Valanciunas in a, in a bench role where where I think they have to start Mark. You know, I think they have to throw him in the starting lineup and and. Uh, I wonder if that's what's best for their team. Whereas a a more a smaller role for someone like Valanciunas, who is a better defender uh, and is is happy or, or willing to take those twenty minutes a night, if that's all he gets, uh, I, I wonder if if uh, what the dynamic there is. I, I could see it going either way. I, I'm not uh, probably followed Gasol this season or Toronto as a as a you know super close beat writer or something like that to to have strong opinions about it, but but I do think it's a really fascinating move and, and really curious to see which way it goes because I, I don't think it's a certainty that that it 100 percent makes them better. Nick Nurse has a really challenging job in front of him to figure out all of these guys that have been important parts either of his current team or of many prior teams to, to make sure that they're all happy, feeling valued, feeling appreciated. But the ceiling of this, especially because Marcus Ole can do a nice job on Joel Embiid, is, is really fascinating. And with the For sure. compounding factor of his player option and how he feels about what happens this year, going into it, and then Toronto's just gigantic uncertainty after this year, Kawhi, Danny Green, and potentially a, a larger pivot. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by that move. I'm wondering how it will turn out. And, I mean, the arms race in the East, as you said, it's, it's going to be so much fun to watch. Yeah, the upside of the move make, makes it a, a move I, I think Toronto has to make. Totally understand why they did it. Just very, very curious to see how it works out. And I, I think, like you said, this is, a, this is a lot of weight on Nick Nurse's shoulder. Man, somebody, uh, somebody get that man a, a massage. <laughs> yeah, it, it's going to be a lot. But thank you so much for taking the time. For sure, Danny. This is great. Thanks again to Tim Cato for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at The Athletic, and you can also follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore Cato, T-I-M underscore C-A-T-O. But before we move on, a message from our friends at betonline.ag. We just went through a tumultuous trade deadline. That means a lot of names changing places and teams that are going to be looking around. And maybe you feel like you know something that other people don't. And now is a great time to test that out on betonline.ag. The uncertainty creates just a lot of of fun opportunities. And if you are interested in in in-game betting, let's say you get a feel for something during the course of it and you think, oh, it's going to go this way. You can also check that out on betonline.ag. And if you're going to do so, sign up using the podcast one promo code and you get a 50% sign up bonus, which is absolutely fantastic. Lots of different options, even though we're getting more to the basketball and hockey part of the calendar. Super Bowl is over now. Still lots of action, especially if you're listening to this, you are definitely at 
an in-depth basketball fan. So betonline.ag, use that podcast one promo code for the 50% signup bonus. And I also want to tell you about our friends at TrueCar. 60 seconds. That is exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car with TrueCar. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a true cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to TrueCar and simply enter your license plate number, watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you will get an accurate true cash offer from a local true car certified dealer. It is that easy. After that, you can bring your car in. They'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions, get the answers you need so there are no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you are ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. Last up, we have Fred Katz, also of The Athletic based in Washington, D.C., covering this Wizards team who did a dramatic 180-degree turn inspired by John Wall's unfortunate torn Achilles as he was in the process of recovering from his other injury. And Fred and I talk about how their decision-making process changed. He had a piece, he talked with Ernie Grenfeld in depth for his piece and trading Otto Porter, what this team's summer looks like, and really fun conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. The Wizards are a little bit different and distinct. Part of the reason I wanted to do them for this podcast is because there was a an outside, inside impetus for what it, what it sounds like happened because John Wall had a subsequent injury, which affected the way the Wizards approached the deadline. Yeah. I mean, I spoke to Ernie Grunfeld in a piece that I had up on The Athletic uh, earlier. I don't know when this is coming out, but earlier on Thursday afternoon or late early evening, I had that piece out where I spoke to Ernie. And he, he said just flat out that once John Wall had that Achilles rupture, which the team announced on, they discovered it on Monday, only three days ago. Once that came out, they had to reevaluate things and they kind of felt that that was the necessary process to do. Uh, he was already going to be out for this year. But I think part of it was just that with Otto Porter on their books for next year at $27 million, they were at like $111 million in salary. And that put them over the projected salary cap. And they just weren't really going to be able to get players. They had John Wall's Supermax extension kicking in in year one, which takes up a very large amount of that cap at like projected $38 million or whatever it is. They were going to have so much money on the books and really no flexibility to put a roster around guys. And if they want to resign their own guys, Sadoransky, Thomas Bryan are both restricted free agents. They would like to bring back Trevor Ariza. They do those things. Then all of a sudden they're in the tax again for a team that's, you know, competing to win how many games? Maybe they compete to get the eighth seed if they're lucky. And so I think for it was just more of a budgetary move, uh, partly to get out of the tax for this year, but also to kind of create actual space and flexibility for 2019-20. I see the 1920 and 2021 parts of this as being more significant for the way the Wizards are going. And I had written about the Wizards issues earlier in the year and got a fair amount of crap from Wizards fans, which is fine. I welcome that about how Porter made the most sense as the guy to move there. And the reason that I put out there, and I don't know if, if Mr. Runfeld felt the same way, was that John Wall, I mean, even before his injury, he was the hardest guy to move. There are a bunch of logistical reasons for that. Now it's basically impossible for at least the next year. And Bradley Beal, by virtue of being a better player, you are making a very different decision by moving him. And we'll get to Beal 
later on. But with Otto Porter, he's kind of in that sweet spot where he helps you, but he isn't definitive. And so moving his money doesn't resign them to like some sort of disastrous fate, or at least that's not the way the front office could, should, or will see it. Yeah, I think also part of it is that I think Otto is kind of, he's a good player. And I, I think because he has an expensive contract, people talk about him. We do this thing. It's like the Joe Johnson theorem, right? Guys who have big contracts and are good to very good players, we're like, oh, they're they're overpaid, so they're not good. It's like, no, Otto Porter is still a good player. He's just on an expensive deal. I think Otto Porter specifically fits in the best on a team that's already good. Like, if you've got a team where Otto Porter can, can fit in really well and he can play nice uh, team defense and guard guys on the ball competently and shoot maybe 45% three like he did the last two years. He shot over 50% from mid-range the last couple of years. Like he was one of the only players in the NBA who for over a two-year span shooting a mid-range shot was like an analytically great decision because he just broke the math because he was so good at it over those last two years because he was that good of a shooter. You have a guy like that on your team, like Utah liked him a lot. You picture him on Utah, but instead of Jay Crowder, it's him, or instead of Joe Ingles, it's him. Like that would be an amazing fit for Utah if you could just magically implant him into that. He would fit so well in a Quinn Snyder offense. Like, that would work wonderfully. And I think on a team that is fighting the way that the Wizards are just to try to get into the playoffs, he just doesn't have as much value with the type of with the type of contributor he is, you know? And, of course, all of that makes Otto Porter a perfect fit for the burgeoning super team that is the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> hey, the Bulls have liked Otto Porter for a little while. They've liked him for a little while. So I wasn't totally shocked when I saw him, then I saw that he was going there. But yeah, I would be lying if I didn't say like, I don't really know how Otto Porter fits on a team that's, you know, a 200 winning percentage and is, you know, potentially going to get the number one pick. That's kind of one of the problems that you deal with with individuals and, you know, and collective entities running front offices is that if somebody likes a player and the opportunity comes around to get that player, even if it's not the right time or they're not exactly the perfect fit, things like that can end up happening. And there are a variety of those that have happened over the years. And it is a big commitment for the Bulls to make with Otto Porter. But I'm fascinated with what this Wizards team is going to be now, because as you said, you know, Porter is a good player. He can help make teams better, especially good teams. I think he he does make a greater difference there where his his skills are are slotted in in the right place. It's probably a, a good way to put it. So now with the Wizards, they have more team building power to go in different directions. Now, there is no guarantee that they will do better with that extra money than Otto Porter, but at least now they can they can throw some different things on the table and figure out what they want this team to be. Maybe not as much for the for the 18-19 season that we're in right now, but at least for the 19-20 season. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh I think that's true. I think like, you know, I just, I just wonder what they're going to end up doing this off season, to be honest, because they, they could go in a number of directions, right? Like it's possible they could just bring everybody all the way down to like Jeff Green and Trevor Ariza back. They don't have bird rights on Jeff Green, but they could just throw them into one of their exceptions. So they just bring everybody back. And I quite honestly wouldn't be shocked about that because they like Trevor Ariza. They like Jeff Green. They think those guys help them win games and, I do think they like Bobby Portis. They like Bobby Portis all the way dating back to the 2015 draft when the Bulls took him in the first round, and they seriously considered uh, finding a way to acquire him. So I know they've liked Portis a lot. They, I mean, Portis turned down, what was the extension? Four years and eight figures annually, so we'll see how much he costs. But, like, 
They want to bring back Sadoransky. They want to bring back Thomas Bryant. Those guys are going to add up. And uh, I wonder, depending on how the rest of the season goes, depending on how those guys perform, depending on a million different factors, there are other ways this could go too, right? Like Trevor Ariza could end up, they could realize Trevor Ariza doesn't necessarily make sense into their plans and that they don't want to give him whatever he could command on the open market next year. Portis might not work out. Uh, Thomas Bryant could end up getting uh, a reason provision. He might end up getting poison pills because he's, el- he's eligible for that. And all of a sudden they've got a difficult decision on, on their hands there because he's a second round pick who's uh, going to be a restricted free agent in his second season. So like they have, they have like a huge range of what can end up happening to the happening to them over the next six months or so. And I'm super curious to see how this is all going to go. To give people a basic idea of what Grunfeld is going to be dealing with this summer, the Wizards have about forty-two million to work with. Not in, and and that doesn't include their their draft pick or anything like that to build out a roster. Assuming the luxury tax is a hard line, and they only have five guys on roster, not counting that Beal, Wall, Jan Mihimi, who they theoretically could move or stretch, Dwight Howard, who theoretically they could move or stretch, and Troy Brown Jr., their first round pick this year. So. You could say, oh, $42 million, that's a lot of money. And it is. But depending on who they choose to retain and how much those players cost, because the restricted free agents have a lot of volatility. I mean, Bobby Portis, it's the reporting that Casey Johnson had is that he turned down four years, 40 to $50 million because he wants $16 million a year. Granted, wishes are a very different thing from what he can actually get. So how far that $42 million gets them in terms of retentions and additions is going to be really fascinating because you have to calibrate on this market when a lot of teams have money, but also half the league or more is going to be free agents. Yeah, that's one of the things that I'm really interested to see how it's going to play out. And they also have they've dove into the restricted free agency market. Like they, they have decided to stick their hand in the restricted free agents. They want to resign. Portis is restricted. Sadoransky is restricted. And Bryant is restricted. And because of that, so like last year, like when nobody had money, and what was it, eight teams went into the offseason with significant cap room, seven teams, whatever it was. I was talking to somebody who works in the front office for a team around the trade deadline, around this time. And I was saying, like, why don't you just go get, like, Rodney Hood went for nothing. Like, why don't you just go get all of these restricted free agents on rentals? Nobody's going to have money. And you might end up be able to sign all of them to team-friendly deals at the end of the year. And you get all these team-friendly young guys, potentially, if it works out. And they were saying, well, two things could happen. If they still out, like the market, like, you know, flames out for them, you could have a number of guys on qualifying offers, which limits your flexibility because they get no trade clauses and because then they're just probably gone at the end of the year. And uh, on top of that, you could have somebody just you, – you, you make yourself susceptible to get blitzed. Like teams can come in and just give you the Otto Porter contract, the Tyler Johnson contract, where they're just – giving you these insane, offering these insane offer sheets, the Alan Crabb contract that Brooklyn did. These are all Brooklyn things, I guess, uh, where, you know, you yeah, get these and, insane... They, and they have cap space again, so who knows? Maybe they're going to ruin another couple teams. Exactly. If they strike out, I bet you they do. And, like, if Saturn, like they And these are the restricted free agents, the Wizards. They're not first-tier restricted free agents. These are the guys, good players. Sadoransky is a good player. Thomas Bryant is a very promising offensive young center. He's 21 years old and has developed a ton and is already a million times better than he was two weeks ago. And two weeks ago, he was a million times better than he was two weeks before that. But 
these guys are not going to be getting ginormous close to max deals. These guys are, are just good players. They're probably second tier restricted free agents. And the second tier restricted free agents are prone to lingering later into the summer, whether that means the second week of July, third week of July, you know, there's always a restricted or two who goes into August or even September or whatever it is. And at that point, you're not going to have a ton of teams who have cap space. You might only have a few left. And if one of those teams is someone who might necessarily need a point guard or might need a center, and it's just like, yeah, the Wizards have totally banked on bringing Sadoransky back. And if they don't, they've got John Wall injured, and they can only get a point guard for a minimum. So let's just blitz them and offer Sadoransky a ridiculously high number and assume they're going to match it. Like, the Wizards are susceptible to that strategy once again, like they were with Otto Porter, when he ended up getting a max contract with also all of these super aggressive provisions from the Nets, where, like, he gets half of his salary up front at the beginning of every year and things like that. So that's something to watch out for, too. I don't know, like, I'm not necessarily predicting that it's going to happen, but the Wizards are, uh, I'm sure they're hoping that it doesn't because that would be uh, that would be another interesting part of their offseason if it did. It's a great point, and there is a lot of uncertainty this year, especially because there's so much focus on the Max guys, but there are a bunch of other teams that have significant flexibility and probably are not in play for those guys. So how how do they approach it? Do they want to go after maybe a lower-tier, unrestricted free agent, somebody like Danny Green, who I absolutely love, but is not Kawhi Leonard, his teammate, or, or something like that? Or do they go after restricted free agents? And and if they do go after restricted free agents, what are they prioritizing? Because you have the Terry Rozier, DeLon Wright type of guy where maybe you're seeing them as a starter, but they haven't been on their current team. D'Angelo Russell, who's probably a tier above them, especially now that he made the All-Star game. But then there might be a couple teams that instead focus on, let's say, especially if they're in that over-the-cap, under-the-tax range, like the Orlando Magic, theoretically, where they go, this is all we have. Let's swing as hard as we can early on. And then maybe you're sitting there going, oh, well, this could be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the heck Phoenix is going to do. I don't have a feel for that front office, and I don't know what they think of their roster right now, but I feel like you can't necessarily say that acquiring Tyler Johnson means you're totally out on getting a point guard. So, like, yeah, I think Staderansky would probably be the guy who's most susceptible. I guess Thomas Bryant could could get poison-pilled, but I don't necessarily expect that because the offer would just have to be too above what I anticipate his market being right now. And, like, and the, center mar- the center market is just so flush. It's right. crazy. You have to, you have to be an amazing, amazing player in order to get yeah. paid. And when you're like strictly a five, especially a five like Cam, who still has work to do defensively. Right. And there are, there are just so many guys that is, if the team thinks the Wizards are going to match, basically what it takes is somebody going, he's the right fit. He is, he is our perfect guy. And, and it's going to happen with somebody. We just don't know exactly who it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's, they, they have a really, really, now, now I'm getting all interested by their offseason. They have a really interesting offseason now. See, I'm hashing all this out with you. All this stuff went down in the last, like, 24 hours. So I've just been sitting down trying to put together thoughts for stories and, and, and all that stuff. And I've written two things in the last 24 hours. But, yeah, now I'm, now I'm hashing out, uh, I guess, my offseason preview piece with you. It, it's actually a really interesting offseason team now. 
a lot of teams got more compelling with the decisions that they have to make, the Wizards being one of them. And yeah, I, I'm assuming I'm going to do the 30 offseason previews again this year for The Athletic. And I started thinking about a couple of them today. I actually got out the the template two days ago and I just started processing because now that buyouts and all that are happening, it's, it's time for it. And yeah, Washington, they're going to get into it. And then the last big thing there is obviously Bradley Beal didn't get traded. Bradley Beal, you know, all-star will be the centerpiece of this team as long as they have him until John Wall makes it back whenever the heck that is. So what is your read as of right now? And this is probably not going to be on public posturing in terms of will he be available before the start of next season? And then kind of how do you see that playing out, especially if they end up not being, you know, like we're saying, maybe they fight for the eight seed. Like if that's the type of team they are, would they consider trading Beal in season next year? So I'm leaning towards no. Because I literally spoke to Arnie Grunfeld today on the record, and his exact quote, hold on, I got it right here, was, we have no intention of trading Bradley. And my question wasn't, are you going to trade Bradley this summer? It was, uh, would they trade him before his contract ends in 2021? And he said, we have no intention of trading Bradley, and, and, and just answered it with a no, uh, a pretty definitive no. And um, so I, I, I would be... I would be prone to saying, no, they're not going to trade him. And I think it kind of goes beyond basketball. The Wizards aren't necessarily the Knicks. Like, they're, it, Knicks fans are showing up no matter who's on the roster. And if they trade Bradley Beal for pieces, I just – I don't know who's coming to those games. I don't know who's watching those games. It's not even necessarily like a rebuild thing. It's a bringing in money thing. You know, people in D.C., Wizards fans, care about Bradley Beal and care about coming to see Bradley Beal. And I know fans don't – you know, the woke fans don't necessarily care about this. It's, you know, break it down. And if you're not good, you got to break it down. You got to sell off your, your parts that are worth something. Uh, but, but that's how a lot of organizations see this. And I do think that in some ways the wizards do see that. And I, I have to imagine that has some amount of contributions to the way that they, they frame this discussion. That being said, like, I know there are a lot of people out there, and there are smart people, like really smart people who really know their stuff who say that the wizards should trade Bradley Beal now. I don't really buy that, to be honest, like purely from a basketball perspective. I don't really buy that. If Bradley Beal had one more year left on his contract after this year, then I would understand that take. He's got three years left. Like, there's time. They can get just as much for him this summer or probably at next year's trade deadline, uh, assuming that they don't lose leverage because of other reasons. They could probably get just as much for him this summer or next year's trade deadline. Like he's 25 years old. They could get a ton for him next year if they felt like they had to trade him. If the team just totally collapsed in on itself and they were in the same spot or a worse spot next February and they felt like they had to make the move, like they'll be fine. I don't think there should be a rush of, okay, they got to trade Bradley Beal and whatever the best deal they have by the deadline or whatever the best deal they have by the end of the summer is, that's what they got to take. I don't think they take that approach. You get a deal that blows you out of the water, great. Like, only like LeBron and maybe Steph are truly, truly untradeable, right? Everyone else in the league, to some degree, if you make the right offer, is tradable. If you offer LeBron for Kawhi, Toronto would do that, even though Kawhi is, you know, quote unquote, untradeable, right? Uh, and so, so yeah, like, I, I just, I don't think that Beal, realistically, unless you get an offer that just blows you out of the water, like, don't trade him for 80, 85, 95 cents on the dollar now. Wait it out and see the best offer you can get because I just don't anticipate them realistically losing leverage. And he's a really, really, he's really become a really awesome player. 
there could be some drop off in the offers just because then, as you, you mentioned, the three years thing, having him for three playoffs and having him for two is a meaningful difference. But so the logic, I, I see it both ways. But the part of the logic that I see pushing against it a little bit is that what are the Wizards trying to prove over the course of this next year? So if, if you take your premise of the offers aren't going to get worse, then yeah, of course you keep him because then there's there's no opportunity cost. That might not be true. But as you said, like this might have been the case with Anthony Davis too, where teams just weren't in the right frame of mind, especially with how much money is going to be on the table in 2019. If the offers weren't good enough, then by all means, keep them. And that might have been the story of it. But you listen, you listen on everybody. So I think, I think part of it is that if, if I, so if I'm the Wizards, the approach that I would take, and I don't know if this is the right approach, shockingly, I've never run a front office, but I would wait for the big dominoes to fall. Because Bradley Beal, if he were on the market, which I've never gotten any impression that he is or was, if he were on the market, he would be one of the bigger dominoes. And there are a lot of teams that are holding out for AD, holding out for Kawhi, Jimmy Butler, maybe Clay Thompson, like those guys, right? There are going to be a lot of losers. There are a lot of teams with cap space. There are a lot of teams who are hoarding assets, hoping to trade for AD or whatever it might be. And someone is going to be a loser that ends up with decent, that, that just holding on to decent assets. And if that team gets desperate, whether it's the Lakers, whether it's somebody else, that team gets desperate and Bradley Beal is the best available guy, that's, I think, when you can potentially say, okay, now we're thinking about something. When you can get this smattering of good young players and this smattering of picks, that's when I think you you end up making a deal because I think there is a way to go about this to where they can be predatory if they wait out for when um, you know somebody is is really feeling desperate. And I don't think anybody was quite desperate enough because as long as that AD carrot is out there, as long as people are holding out for Kawhi or somebody else, like it's just tougher to manipulate that situation if you're Washington. That's certainly a reasonable point. And teams just might not have been in the right frame of mind kind of that that fits in fits in there with with your interpretation of of where things could be and also there wasn't anybody seeing there this is kind of one of the Kyrie Irving theories that's out there saying Bradley getting Bradley Beal is going to ensure that we keep player X because that is the other way that it could happen but I don't think anybody was really at that point just briefly before we we part ways was there any move outside of what the Wizards did that particularly struck you as compelling or notable yeah, I mean, I know it's uh, I know it's not necessarily outside the box, but Toronto, man, they just they just keep hacking, don't they? Like Masai, it's just such a gambler. They have such a good thing going, and I know they didn't give up a ton. Like they really didn't at all, in my estimation. Wright is a really nice player, and I like him as a get for Memphis. I think that was that was a good get for him. But I can't believe Me- I, I can't believe Memphis didn't have to get a first. I know Gasol is, well, Gasol's probably not expiring if he plays like he has in the last month and a half for the rest of the year. I don't really know if he's going to pick up the player option, but man, if, if, if Gasol is an expiring guy, I know it's hard to get that first, but I just can't believe Memphis didn't have to get a first for him. And I can't believe with the way that Toronto is playing that they're like, yeah, and I know there were the Lowry rumors with Conley and all that, but I just, the way they're playing, they're playing such good basketball. They have such an, they have such an identity, you know? And Marcus Hall is an awesome player, and I think he probably makes them better. But to shake up their identity, if Kawhi was a free agent in 2020, I wouldn't be so taken aback by it. But they're shaking up their identity in a do-or-die season right now in the middle of the year. And I was like, man, 
that is a heck of a risk. Uh, they took the Kawhi risk, and it seems like it's working out amazing. And I, I have a lot of respect for that organization. And I think they do a really good job. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm rolling with it. Gasol's still a, a good player. Uh, but I just, I was totally taken aback by them getting Gasol. I just thought it was such a, such a ballsy move. There was that, I, that report out there about how there was some discussion with the, the Raptors and Conley and Gasol. And I'm like, I was just, I was shocked by it. And then I, I it subsided. It kind of seemed like it was like, oh, maybe there was a conversation, but then nothing happened. And then today it's like, Marcus Gasol got traded to the Raptors. We're sitting there going, whoa, like that is a, a very, a very distinct, specific thing. And Toronto didn't have to give up any of their key young pieces. I liked Alon Wright quite a bit, but A, he's going to be 27, so a different part of the young piece thing. And they have just a, a fascinating team now. It, it, you're right. It's going to be how, how the rest of the season plays out, what Marcus Gasol decides with his option. Three guys in that trade all have player options. And so how those decisions w- work and maybe some of them opt out and resign, who knows, but I, it's going to be crazy. Yeah, I mean, that... That team is that might be the most interesting team in the NBA, Toronto. Like with with what they're doing right now, and I just can't believe that they didn't have to give up Ananobi or I know they. Yeah, I guess it would have to be their twenty twenty one first, right? Uh, in that in that trade, like I just I couldn't believe that the fact that they basically kept their core together and that Gasol is just the new Valanciunas is a crazy rattling to what they tried to do. I'm also so curious because I figured like in the playoffs, all right, teams go small. They're going to try to play Siakam at the five. They've been so successful with Ibaka playing the five all year. This is going to shake up their big rotation. Like, I'm, I'm so curious to see how Nick Nurse is going to play this. And the whole thing is just going to be fascinating. Really looking forward to how all this plays out. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me as always. Thanks again to Fred Katz for taking the time to come on. You can read him at The Athletic. You can listen to Wizards After Dark, which is the podcast that he does. And you can follow him on Twitter at Fred Katz, F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. Also put in another plug. It's easy since they all work for The Athletic. Tim Cato of the Mavericks covering the Mavericks, Derek Bodner covering the Philadelphia 76ers. All three of them do great work. I am genuinely proud to have them as colleagues. They're all people that I knew and respected long before they joined The Athletic. So having them on board makes me really, really happy. And you can read their work and listen to the podcast that they do and everything else, of course. I'll probably do more of a broad scope national take next week, but I'm not married to that. If something cool comes up, I will end up crossing that bridge. I don't think it'll be buyout related. That seems like more of a dunked on thing, but it'll definitely go somewhere because that's how Real Jam Radio works. And we do not take a break for the All-Star game. I am going to take some time off personally, but it's going to be split between weeks. So we will have new episodes each week going forward. If you want to support this show, there are a lot of great ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcast. I understand if it's not, but if you want to be super awesome and you use another podcast player, you can actually leave a review in Apple Podcasts as well. That helps people find the show. Also, subscribing, downloading every episode, still important to the metrics. And since this is a podcast that comes out on different days, subscribing, make sure that it pops into your player whenever that is. And I really do appreciate that. Also, just spreading the word, saying, hey, this was a great episode, or generally speaking, this is a good podcast. There are always people looking for content, and there are, hopefully there are people who care about your opinion. So really do appreciate that. But of course, the single most important thing you can do to support this show and any others that have them is checking out our advertisers. 
petermillar.com slash realgm, and you can check out their amazing products. I've been really impressed with the quality, the comfort, and if you go there using that URL, you get complimentary shipping and a free hat, which is pretty awesome. Then Art of Sport skincare products. You can go to artofsport.com, use the Real GM promo code, and there you get 50% off their trial kit, which has a bunch of really cool things in it, and you get free shipping as well, which is great. BetOnline.ag, longtime sponsor of the show, can use that Podcast One promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus. And TrueCar, great place to buy a new and used car. And as you heard in the ad, you can sell or trade in your car. So you can check that out as well. Lots of cool things going on. You can, of course, listen to Dunked On, the podcast I do with Nate Duncan. For more granular stuff, we went through all of the trades for each of the days around the deadline in mostly excruciating depth in a good way because that's how we do things. And now we can get back into games and everything else that's going on. But also you can check out the NBA cast. This is a project that Nate and I started doing a few years ago. And it has evolved a couple times, but now what we do is we are doing live alternate commentary for games and we have a brand new, really exciting for us endeavor on Friday. So we have been doing this where, you know, we can show the the little corner for syncing of with the score and all that or with the score and the timing and all that kind of stuff. But since Twitch is a partner of the G League, we are actually doing an alternate broadcast for the G League game, and you can watch the game using Twitch. So you can watch the game, listen to us, analyze it. It's going to be a lot of fun, a different challenge, because Nate and I are admittedly not as in tune with the G League as we are with both of those teams. It's the Viper, the Rio Grande Valley Vipers versus the South Bay Lakers. So we're more familiar with their big clubs than their little clubs, but we've been doing plenty of research and getting into that. So that's going to be on Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Really looking forward to that. If you have any feedback on this show, eh, you can do it on the NBA cast too. NBA at gmail.com is the way to do that. If you take the time to write it, I take the time to read it. I am admittedly not awesome at responding right away because let's just say there's a lot going on, but I do read it as soon as it pumps in my inbox because that is very important to me if you take that time and that is my my promise. And you can also check out my written work, which is overwhelmingly at The Athletic. I have so many content ideas swimming through my brain right now, and I'm just kind of figuring out what order to do them. I have a Rockets piece that's about halfway done. I'm working on, in my head, on another really interesting one that actually kind of spawned in a radio appearance I did today. So you could check all that stuff out as it comes out using The Athletic. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Thunderstruck. Adjective. Shocked and amazed by the power of fun on Carnival. Riding Bolt, the world's first roller coaster at sea, Brian got thunderstruck so hard, his 93-year-old grandmother felt it 3,000 miles away in Nebraska and immediately booked a cruise. Hooray! Get Thunderstruck starting at 289. Carnival. Choose fun.
Cruises are in U.S. dollars per person, double occupancy. Taxes, fees, and port expenses additional. Restrictions apply. Full details on Carnival.com. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over. The new year is here. And the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited world-class treatment center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY.